Hello and welcome to Rain City Bunker episode 18, our special Halloween uh, episode. I am Greg Moon. I'm here with my good friend Andy Brown. Hello. And this is kind of like the highlight of the Rain City Bunker year, isn't it, Andy? Yeah. Uh, This is always one of our favorite times of year to do the show. And we uh, put a little work into this one and we usually choose something, a theme or something uh, Halloween related to, to talk about. Yeah, so the theme basically of this show will be ghosts, and a lot of it's uh, local Seattle ghosts, and we'll, we have a couple of personal stories we're going to share too, but um, so if you live in Seattle, I think most of the people that listen to the podcast do live around the area, you'll you'll recognize these places that we talk about. Uh, the first one, uh, and, and Andy's got this really cool book called Spooked in Seattle, a haunted handbook, and he got an autographed copy. <laughs> I actually uh, found it in Costco. <laughs> they have a uh, – uh, go ahead and say the uh, author's name. Yeah, and the author's name is Ross Allison. And it's kind of a little – it's just a little digest, kind of a little compendium of the various haunted spots or purported haunted spots around Seattle. Yeah, and I had done a little looking up uh, of these stories on the internet earlier today. And one that stuck out and I thought we should cover is uh, Princess Angeline. One of the more famous ghosts of yeah. Seattle. Yeah, Princess Angeline is down in the uh, Pike Place Market. And uh, I'll just read it. It's, a, it's a kind of a long, semi-long paragraph, but we'll uh, quickly go through it here. Uh, this bl- Princess Angeline, this blue-eyed Native American princess, was born in 1820 to Chief Seattle, his oldest daughter. She lived out her life in a 10-by-10-foot shack at the waterfront on Western Avenue, just across the street from the Pike Place Market. There she would do carvings and weave baskets for the ye old curiosity shop on the pier. She was named Princess... Which is still there, by the way, yes. for anybody who visits. Yes, and Sylvester is down there, the mummy. Uh, she was named Princess due to her father's status, and Angeline was given to her by Catherine Brochiers Maynard, second wife of Seattle pioneer Doc Maynard. And there's a road in uh, Pioneer Square named Maynard. Her birth name was... Kiki So Blue, Seattle, or Self. Self was probably the way the natives pronounced Seattle, and we, we corrupted it to Seattle. She married Dokub Code, who died before the arrival of the Euro settlers in 1853. This woman, had gained, this woman had gained fame all over the world. If you ventured to Seattle, you'd be sure to see her frail figure on the streets of Seattle selling her goods. One of the most popular tourist souvenirs was that of a native... American doll resembling Princess Angeline. So she made little dolls that looked like herself, evidently. She became the symbol that linked the past with the present. Although she died on May 31st, 1896, at the age of 76, some say she had refused to leave even after a physical death. Yet, as um, with the forced removal of her people to reservations, she was spiritually bound to her homeland, and there she would stay, treaty or no treaty. And so, you know, Chief Seattle was... The, the native chief who uh, the city's named after. Yeah. And, uh, and it's kind of sad, but the, the Duwamish, their tribe, had lived at Pike Place. And at one point... Was they, that where they were centered? Is or, right where Pike Place at least they had a settlement yeah. area there, and they got kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they said, well, we're going to build this um, market, and uh, they kicked so, her out. So, you know, what's interesting, too, just a little aside, um, they mentioned she lived in this little shack... And Greg, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there a kind of a preserved area over in the Belltown district of some of the original pioneer shacks? And they're pretty small, yeah. pretty pretty Spartan. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. there's there's only one or two. Yeah, it's it's yeah, not many left. But um, in, it's not in this paragraph. But what I read on the internet today was that right after she died, people claimed to see her, her so ghost. right away yeah yeah so this ghost is a 116 year old ghost yeah. so she's been around there for 116 years you know if you believe it yeah uh that that that's uh so that, that you know and that's where almost anyone who's ever been to seattle has yeah. been to the pike place market so we thought we'd talk about oh that one. before we continue i don't know if this if our recorder is picking up the sound but we have uh we're at a different bunker location and uh all the bunker locations seem to have canines and this one's bailey and she's chewing on a milk bone. So if you hear a kind of strange, yeah, that's not sounds. me uh, grunting or, <laughs> or or some sort of monster. <laughs> well, she's a monster, but in her own mind. So, so but, the next the next one. Are you going to do the Green Lake one? Yes. Um, 
that one I read is 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 weird. So to tell me tell me what you think about this. Mm-hmm. I know both Greg and I have gone to Green Lake on several occasions. It's a it's a nice park around a lake, and you can walk around and um and it, it always had uh, it's always has kind of a tranquil feel to it. So to read about this this supposed ghost and the incident yeah. that, that that surrounds it is kind of creepy. Yeah, and I I will you know I'm a lifelong Seattleite. I've been going to Green Lake since I was seven. Right. I've never had a creepy feeling at Green Lake, but yeah. a lot of people evidently have. And here, here's this story. Um, this uh, Green Lake, uh, this 323-acre park created in 1903, surrounds the waters of Green Lake itself. Im- impressed with its beauty, some would never guess what a hor- horrific event took place on its shores. Kind of what Andy was saying. Yeah. <laughs> a pair of women's shoes was found lying next to Green Lake on Thursday morning, June 17, 1926. A carpenter on his way to work was on his way to work when he stumbled upon the shoes. Looking for the owner, he stumbled a few feet further and found the body of 22-year-old Sylvia Gaines. When the authorities searched the murder scene, they deduced that Sylvia had been murdered in one location. Her body had then been dragged several yards to where she was found. Her clothes were torn, and her body was arranged in such a way that suggested a rape. She had been strangled and struck with a weapon. A bloody rock was found in the nearby vicinity. The story of Sylvia caught Seattle's attention, and her mysterious death remained front-page news for months. Sylvia was in Seattle to establish a relationship with her estranged father, whom she had not seen since she was five years old. She was born in Massachusetts, and her father moved to Washington State after her parents divorced. Oh, this bit longer story. <laughs> well, you just you could, we could skip, skip part of it, yeah. So... I had read the story earlier, yeah. so she came to Seattle. Uh, I think her uncle was on the county council. Yeah. She tried to patch things up with her dad. Her dad was a World War One veteran yeah. and alcoholic, yeah. but she moved in with her dad and her stepmother. And evidently, there were some suggestions that there had been an inappropriate relationship. Yeah, and with with the with the with, father. with the father, yeah, yeah. and then uh, the father had said, "Let's see if I can skip ahead here." Let's see. Here, here we'll go to, kind of toward the end. It was suggested that Sylvia left the Gaines home in the evening of June 16th to get away from her father, and he killed her to prevent her from leaving or revealing the true nature of their relationship, this incestuous relationship. Gaines was found guilty and sentenced to death, so they did find the father guilty. He was hanged for the murder, murder of Sylvia Gaines on, on August 31st, 1928. Shortly after the murder, the community came to the park and planted cottonwood trees, which were removed in 1999 replaced with populous robusta on the northern part and location was named Gaines Point to honor her. Today visitors see the transparent transparent figure of a young woman walking on the trails here. Many have heard sobbing late into the night. Mm. I just got chills. Ghost investigators have even captured a possible recording of her trying to answer their questions. Is she trying to pass on a message? Is this why she is seen strolling through the dimly lit park at night? Is there something still left undone? Hmm. So this is kind of a sad story. Yeah. Uh, it, but, you know, I, I was reading more on the Internet, and there were suggestions that the level of uh, police work wasn't as high as it might be today. Oh. And there were suggestions that the, it might be something else that was going on oh. besides her father. Yeah. At least this one guy, I, I should remember who it was, but they suggest that maybe there were some leads that hadn't been pursued. And the father, it said in the internet, not here, he he maintained his innocence to the very end. Hmm. And so did the rest of the family. Interesting. So, boy, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. And and that's that's one of the, you know, whether you believe in ghosts or not, like a creepy idea, too, that that even after death, there's kind of this um, unsettled thing that, you you know, that causes, let's say, like a spirit to to remain and and relive and you know yeah and try desperately to search out you know i almost prefer to think what do you think greg i almost prefer to think if there are things such things ghosts that it's a residue it's not actually their spirit you know that mm. i think that's that's an easier like almost like a recording yeah like it's, it's not really the person's spirit because that's kind of it's just imp- too much for you to handle huh? well the implica- <laughs> well the implications are kind of dark <laughs> that, you know what I mean? That means that if the, that the tragedy never really is resolved, it just continues to yeah to remain. Well, let me read this one story. And we'll talk a little bit more sure. about that idea because yeah. that's a 
very interesting idea yeah. to me. And this last one's a real short one. And this one is not as much rooted in facts. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was interesting. Well, you, we wanted, wanted... you wanted to talk about this because it's something that you heard as a kid growing up here, right? Not this one. Oh, this one. Okay, I'm sorry. No, not, yeah. not this one. The one uh, – well, I can't yeah, briefly yeah. mention that other one. But I thought we'd, meant we'd cover the city. So yeah. we had downtown, North Seattle, and this one's going to cover West Seattle. So at West Seattle High School, 3000 yeah. California Avenue, the building was opened in 1902 as Seattle – West Seattle School and was renamed West Seattle High School in 1917. Stories say that a student named Rose Higgins Botham, Botham, I Botham think <laughs> may have hung herself there in 1924. Bad year, I guess, huh? But uh, no records prove this. Many students claim to have seen her roaming the school. There have also been claims of a photo featuring her peering out of the window. Her spirit was also said to have been seen wandering in the nearby park. I played soccer there, by the way. There's no conclusive evidence who this ghostly woman is or if it is the spirit of Rose, but the claims of a young woman's ghost dressed in 1920s-era clothing seem to and will continue to haunt the minds of the students of West Seattle High School. So that's nearby here, right? Yeah. And that's not too far from here. Um, So you were talking about the idea of a a ghost being kind of like, stuck yeah and uh you know i went through kind of a spiritual searching phase after my mother's death and one of the books i read was about what what are ghosts and they talked about ghosts and they said ghosts and it is very sad yeah the theory was you know no one knows if if they even exist but the theory was that you're stuck somehow in this world right? right so an addiction yeah they use an addiction as an example if you're an alcoholic right you may not move on if you believe this sort of thing, but to the next plane, yep. the next level, you get stuck and you want that drink. So yeah. your spirit is still hanging around <laughs> trying to get that drink. Oh, I heard that analogy yeah. or something like a murder. Like yeah. it, this, you know, it's such an injustice. I'm not leaving till it gets resolved, right, but right. you know, that's one, yeah. w- one way of looking at yeah. it. <laughs> or, you know, the, the other theory that I kind of uh, alluded to earlier is that when things are powerful enough, powerful and emotionally enough, they um, they leave some sort of imprint uh, on a place, on a geography um, that will replay, like a re- recording replays. And that would go some distance to explain the spirits that, you know, once again, if you believe in this, uh, um, that kind of replay events over and over again, uh, like on a loop, mm-hmm. uh, that it, it's not really them, it's not really their... So, so I shouldn't even say spirit, but it, it's it's um, an energy that's left an imprint in a, in a place. So, so yeah, yeah, like in the ether. Yeah. Now this is this kind of borders in the spiritual, but I think it kind of just just popped in my mind. Um, but it kind of almost ghostly too. Yeah. But uh, my mother, you know, I, I live in the house yeah. that I grew up in, and my mother had this certain place she sat a lot and watched TV, and 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 you know, yeah. that was her spot, right? So I had a friend staying over who was ill, and he stayed with me for about a year and a half. But anyway, he would kind of like, if I were gone, he'd kind of walk around and just kind of meditate or whatever. And one time I came home, and he pointed to to the spot, which was like a table or something else. He said, what is it about this spot? He was pointing exactly at the spot where my mother used to sit. Oh, interesting. And there was no chair there. Yeah. It was like a, a lamp. Yeah, and, that, and I never, I'm almost certain I never told Dave where yeah. my mom sat. Right. But when we we're growing up, you know, the the configuration never changed. Right. I change it every so often. Yeah. So interesting. That that goes yeah. into your idea of an, uh, you know, I I believe the more spiritual interpretation. But you could think the idea you're talking about where an energy is imprinted right on a, a spot. Interesting. So that's yeah. a very yeah kind of. I don't I don't think my mom's ghost is in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I hope, i'd be cool with it but yeah. i don't think it is but but the, my friend dave sent something there so yeah. that's kind of interesting yeah so uh we were going to quickly mention your your experience in connecticut oh yeah so so just our own personal experiences um we talked about this on our very first show uh my the only thing i have that that could be qualify as kind of a ghost ex- encounter is um Back when I was in uh, early college, either freshman or sophomore year, I believe sophomore year, uh, I had a job that was related to the college. It was the, I worked for the public safety office, so 
I would do security guard type functions and I would lock up buildings and so forth. And on the campus where I actually had my classes, there was the undergrad building. Um, and now these were all new building, new, newer buildings, 60s on, uh, except for the library building. And interestingly enough, this incident did not happen at the older building. And our our office was actually at even even older buildings that were uh, early 1800s and had been a Catholic seminary. That's where our, our office was. But I was at a different part of the campus. Mm-hmm. That was the law school campus. Mm-hmm. Our offices were there. We communicated by radio to um, – to, In the days before cell phones. Yes, yeah, <laughs> to where I was. Now. And it was about this time of year, October, I believe. I remember it was fall, really pretty fall in you know New England. And uh, one of the things I would do is go check the buildings and lock them up, make sure all the doors were locked before heading back to base, back to the office. And um, the building, what I would do is I would get in my car, uh, which I had parked at the undergrad building, and I would take the service road, that one behind all of the buildings. Um, and I would stop and get out and and go, particularly in what was called the School of Social Work building, uh, there were these stairs on the outside of the building that went down below ground, below... Kind of like to a basement level. To a basement level. And there were two doors down there. And every once in a while, the maintenance guys would forget to lock it, so I would double-check, make sure it was locked. I'm trying to make this very quick because I know I've talked about this story before. Now, when I would do this, everybody was should be off campus. Like anybody mm-hmm. I knew and everything, classes were done. They should all be gone. Um, and it was dusk. I remember it wasn't like dark. It was dusk. So uh, I went down the stairs to check the doors. And when I got to the to near the door, above me, I heard a female voice say, Andy. I mean, just clearly. And not something that sounded like Andy. It was very clearly my name. And and I went, hello? Hello? You know, because you know, I thought, yeah. Would, did somebody see me yeah. go down there? Uh-huh. And I maybe took about that long. And then I ran up the steps and looked around. And there was... Thinking, thinking that someone who called your name might be up might there. Might be up there. And there was no one there. And um, now I will always reserve the possibility... Uh, that somebody played a prank or something like that and maybe ran away. But it would be hard to do because to clear that area, there's not like a lot of trees that you could run behind or something. It's a wide open area. You have to run like a 50 yards or something like that. Yeah, and and we could point people to – because I think we put the pictures. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's still up. We could point them to the website. And um, I didn't see anybody. And as I've said before, I actually – my thought in, to this day wasn't, ooh, ghost. But I actually did get a little worried um, because I thought, uh, you know, hearing voices is not a good sign. And, <laughs> it um, could be an early I was sign a little, of an intense mental illness. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you, know, not, you know, at that time I didn't, you know, understand that a lot of it could be hereditary. And I, and I, I don't think there's anything in my family. But I, I do remember thinking, like, if this happens again, I'm going to go see a doctor. But, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that's, I'm serious about yeah. that. I was oh, like, yeah. I was like, that was so clear. I, you know, I, I heard that voice. Um, but now the, the – Now, the, was the voice coming from apparently outside above. or inside? Yeah, uh, it, it felt like – Were you inside it, when you heard it? Outside? No, no, I was outside the building. Outside when you heard it. Downstairs below ground. And here's what's odd. Not that door well. It felt – it Stairwell. sounded like it came from directly above me, mm-hmm. which would have meant that it was coming through a window from inside like the, the building. Like the second story or first right. or second, and third I, story. If I'm, not, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think there were any windows that you could open. But that's where the direction mm. of the sound yeah. came from. That's what it sounded like to me. Now, um, what was really interesting is back in, I think it was like about 2007, 2008, probably 2007, six, seven, or 8, I, I did a couple trips where I went back to Connecticut to visit friends and so forth and so on. And a couple friends and I went to the campus, um, and I was telling them that story. And I, I said, I, I want to get some pictures. It was broad daylight. I said, I want to get some pictures of, you know, those doors down there. So if I explain it to people, I can have a visual. Uh, and what was inter- I love this part. And what was interesting is down in that little area, down by the door that I was near – there was a graffiti tag, and the graffiti tag, which was probably the kid's name, his graffiti User name, handle, graffiti, name. graffiti handle, was ghost. <laughs> 
No other graffiti, just that. Ghost. And, and there then, was an arrow. And the T, the, the, the cross of the T terminated in a little arrow that seems to point at the door. And I mean... I, coincidence absolutely but it's a weird one yeah. I, I just thought that was so yeah. weird and i think that, that was our first or second uh rain city bunker episode yeah. we talked about this oh, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. do have the pictures on online on the yeah. site and i'll just link to those yeah. pictures but it's yeah. uh yeah that, that was a cool story interesting yeah. story and i you know because new england is such an old part of the country that uh you know there's probably more ghosts in the east coast than the west coast right because they've been around longer so my experience in in 2008, I took the big my big trip around the country, and uh, I stayed with my cousin and his wife in New Hampshire, and they live in a house that was built in the 17 somethings. That's not uncommon out there. 1770s, no. 1780s, something like that, and uh, it was very quaint, very nice house. And uh, the um, my uh, cousin's stepson lived in the basement. Now that was a little creepy down there because it was like hewn stone or. It just seemed a little kind of because it was unfinished and it seemed right. very primitive. Right, right. But it was comfortable. Yeah. But it just seemed weird having these big blocks of stone. I guess that's how they did basements. Yeah. You no, know, they didn't have concrete. Concrete wasn't so available. So anyway, uh, staying there, they're great people. They they welcomed me and it was fun. And I think it was my first or second night there. Uh, they, uh, my cousin's wife Judy started telling me stories about <laughs> odd occurrences in the home. Yeah. And she she put chills down my spine. She talked about things moving on their own mm. and all these kind of creepy stories. Right. And my cousin kept saying, oh, no, I have an explanation. Yeah. Here's the explanation for that, explanation for that. Right. But Party you know, pooper. Yeah. No, just... <laughs> I'm not a true believer. I do try to be skeptical, but I was kind of intrigued by these stories. Yeah. And when you're in the environment, that, that I can vouch yeah. for. And people start telling you these stories, uh, if you don't mind me, just no, quickly interjecting. Please. The other part of the campus, the law school campus, the old mm -hmm. buildings, there were all sorts of stories. And I can't say I ever experienced anything in there. And I the old buildings. In the old buildings, you know, circa mm -hmm. 1800. Um, but I had the occasion of, of being the only person in those buildings a, a couple different old times yeah, at it's night. It's a little when it's you think different. how old it is. And yeah. Even, and I remember, and particularly at that point in my life, I was... I was fairly skeptical, but you still get the creeps. It's it's oh, hard yeah. not to get the creeps. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Sure. So after that evening of uh, Judy telling us all the stories <laughs> of the ghost stories, and uh, they go to bed early, so they yeah. went to bed before me because you know I was I slept a little later. Yeah. And I was okay, and I went to bed, and you know I I think this is probably just the power of suggestion. Yeah. But. <laughs> When I was going to sleep in that house built in the 1780s or whenever, I had a distinct feeling that there was a presence like a foot away from my <laughs> – my eyes were closed and I was trying right. to go to sleep. And I, I don't think I was even dwelling on her stories. Right, right. But it was probably in the back of my mind, no doubt. Yeah. But I had this distinct impression that there was something about a foot away from my face Oof. as though someone was putting a face in my face. Yeah. And I kept my eyes shut. Really? Sleep. You didn't, you weren't ever tempted to open your eyes? Nope. Wow. I decided, uh, and usually I do. Yeah. But in that case, and, but you know, yeah. this obviously could be, probably is the power of suggestion. Yeah. Hearing these stories, things sliding. Right. And maybe Judy was trying to creep me out a little. Right. Yeah. But, and my cousin was totally skeptical. She seemed very sincere though. I think, yeah. I think she believed these things. Yeah. But I, uh, I had that just, you know, I'm not sure if you know that you just sometimes feel like yeah. someone's looking at you yeah. or something. And I just decided <laughs> I keep my eyes shut. I went to I, bed and I slept fine and nothing ever happened again. And I was there for two or three nights. So, yeah. but one night I had this kind of strong feeling. Kind of funny story. Uh, uh, when I was a teenager, one time I, I woke up. And apparently during the course of – this has only happened one time. In the course of sleeping, somehow my arm had twisted around and had fallen asleep. You know, if you oh, lie in it a yeah, weird way. that's scary. It your had, arm dies. Well, except here's the worst part. Somehow in the course of sleeping, my arm had gone to sleep, but my hand had gone over my face. <laughs> So I woke up feeling like somebody had their hand on my face. <laughs> it was mine, and it scared the yeah out of me. Yeah, it really did. Uh, and I felt like an idiot after I yeah. woke up. Um, I, I did think of one, and I, I forget. I think this was around the time of that trip in '08. But um, 
real quick in my own house, and this is the only experience I've had at my house of, of something really kind of creepy. But um, I had no tenant. You know, I have a, a duplex, and upstairs it's called like a mother-in-law apartment. Yeah. And I was between tenants. And I'd come home from some trip, I believe. And anyhow, I came home, and I'm just unpacking and putting everything there. And uh, and the light, some of the light switches in my house are really old from the 40s. Yeah. And the old light switches are very uh, heavy, and they make yeah. a clunk. So I was home, I think unpacking, as I recall. But I, I heard this loud clunk, clunk, yeah. clunk, clunk. Yeah. And it seemed to be coming from the stairwell up to my, the mother-in-law apartment. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, someone's in my house. Right, right. I thought I was being burglarized or yeah. something. That's what I, I thought. So yeah. I grabbed a bat or, or whatever, and I, I opened the door, and I went upstairs quietly or something. And I, I was careful. You know, yeah. I opened up, and I looked around. No one. No yeah. evidence. Door was locked. No hmm. break-in. No nothing. But I swear... I heard that clunk, 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 which would be the sound of that light switch in Coming that back hallway. And forth. Yeah, but that's that's the only, and it's it's similar to your thing with when you heard your name. Like, yeah. am I going crazy? Yeah, because no one was in the house. Yeah, and it's never happened again. Yeah, how how old was that house, or is that the house? The house was uh, built in forty seven. Forty seven. Uh, do you know how many families lived there before? You? I don't. Yeah. No. Interesting. No. And you my, know, my mother, she did not die in the house, but yeah. she fell ill in the house. Yeah. But I had heard a rumor that the previous owner's wife had actually died in the Ooh. house. But I do not. And you know, never anything weird except that one thing. Right. And not to go too too far on it, but I've lived in some old places. Ironically, <laughs> some of the oldest places I've lived in have been here in Seattle. You know, I've worked in really really yeah. old places. But um, so the the first house I lived in 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 Seattle was built in the early 1900s and. The, in the U district, in the U district, mm-hmm. and um, the other building uh, that I lived in after that was a school that was built in the late 1800s, and then the last I currently live in West Seattle, and the last um, apartment building I lived in before I moved out here to West Seattle, that building was built in the 1920s, and nothing nothing happened in them but the the last building i was in i was really curious who i'd love to see just a little short history of who lived in that building before and, i and, did and we've talked about this before yeah. andy it was kind of a kind of a small one bedroom yeah, apartment yeah. and we figured people that lived in there were probably usually single people because yeah. they're you know maybe a couple yeah. but probably not a family yeah. because there's just not enough room for right. for a child right. so people like that tend not to live there too long usually, right so it's right? probably several people so yeah. we figured you know average five years there yeah. or times so what was the math not yeah. quite 100 years yeah. so probably like 15 people or yeah. maybe probably up to 20 people yeah. when you count the short people <laughs> the, you know the one year the six month people yeah. so yeah there was probably 20 25 people that lived there before you yeah and, archi- and architectural aspects of of that 19 like i had a little phone nook where you obviously put the little candlestick phone and there was also it was it was like painted shut, but there was a little like closet, if you will, that was like an icebox yeah. closet, and with a little. You could, there definitely used to be a door that would go out to the hallway where I guess people would know, deliver and that, ice and that stuff. That apartment was only about a mile away from the Gaines murder site. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so people probably were living in that apartment, reading the story of the Gaines murder. I know, isn't that weird? Like, <laughs> so. Um, so, anyways, talking about ghosts and everything, you know, and I thought of exploring some of the uh, some of this stuff, like I did last year. I think I talked about horror movies mm-hmm. and how they reflected te- they reflect tensions the at times. the times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's specifically poltergeist, uh, but you know, since we're talking about ghosts, um, I wanted uh, to talk about something that I've always been a little bit fascinated by. Like I said, we we, we always reserve we we don't necessarily believe it or not believe it but it's an interesting fun thing to talk about and what i want to talk about are the idea is thought forms and what i mean by that is is it possible for your thoughts or the thoughts of a group of people to actually manifest and i'm not talking about hallucinations or hysteria that definitely happens but is it possible that it can actually manifest in some sort of phenomenon that's external to the person, in other words, uh, uh, moving something around. But even more than that, 
that it takes some sort of form, like an entity or an object, and it takes on a life of its own. And um, the, uh, the idea of thought forms kind of can be it can be said to kind of have evolved from from a tibetan idea in tibetan mysticism there's the idea of a tulpa which is actually um means exactly that uh let's see if i you know i did a little bit of wikipedia research but um and just their definition uh is an upaya i'm not probably pronouncing that correctly upaya concept in tibetan buddhism and bone uh, the term uh, was first rendered into English as thought form uh, by Evans Wentz. So uh, they have this idea that that a master of yoga, like there's actually in, the, in their belief system, uh, you know, in mystical uh, Buddhism, that a master of yoga can actually create a tulpa. And when he's done with it, he can actually dissolve it. He can actually get rid of it. Um, and in Western, it's kind of some Western occult systems, uh, that borrowed from this idea. They, they started playing around with this. And in fact, and I want to, I'm actually going to do some more reading about her because she seems like a really fascinating person. This person around the turn of the last century and her name was Alexandra David Neal. Um, and she, uh, was kind of a, a an early feminist anarchist occultist and she traveled all over the world i think she was originally from belgium and uh she traveled she was one of the first westerners to kind of go into uh places that westerners hadn't gone into and in tibet and she kind of studied Mm -hmm. their spiritual systems and Mm -hmm. everything and um she claimed to have created this is kind of interesting uh she kind of she claimed to have created a tulpa in the image of a jolly friar tuck like monk and you know and from what i've read about it is at first it was kind of amusing mm-hmm. and then it kind of took on a, almost a malicious mischievous quality uh, and as it says here which later developed a life of its own and had to be destroyed <laughs> so um so are they saying that it was a person or kind of like a and, spiritual like an ghost in, like an thing? entity like a kind of a ghost, possibly, right. sort of. Yeah, yeah. And it, when I was researching this, now, uh, Greg is going to ask some questions because uh, this is mostly stuff that I've looked into and everything. And he, you know, yeah, uh, he's kind of new little, to this. And I, he, he just a little did a little bit of reading. But in researching this, there there have been groups, um, I think there was one in the, like the 50s of, you know, cultists, people interested in that sort of thing that deliberately set out to create a ghost. Like that was their theory is that mm-hmm. maybe ghosts come from. So they developed a whole story about it. They mm-hmm. uh, developed a, a persona for it and then just had everybody kind of concentrate on it. And then they noticed interesting things happen, like the, these ghostly phenomenon happening, uh, even though they made up the ghost. And, uh, you know, I talked about the movie Poltergeist um, in parapsychological circles or, or thinking um, there is a theory that poltergeist activity um, has been noted to happen around adolescent girls, mm-hmm. adolescents in general and adolescent girls in particular. Mm-hmm. And the thinking is, is that maybe the energy that girls exude or embody um, during that really tumultuous, tumultuous time, time of, life, yeah. of their life during you know puberty – manifests externally as like as a somewhat hostile entity you know something that throws things around and and disturbs things and so forth and um you know i just i think the idea of a thought form whether conscious or unconscious is kind of a an interesting look at a lot of different um parapsychological or paranormal Mm -hmm. uh, uh occurrences i mean even if you look at um alien abduction or or flying saucer flying saucer uh, sightings sightings because i mean it's off topic a little bit but flying saucers i think were the first one was over mount rainier in 1947 i believe and then it took off yeah it was like it was like a spark right whether whether it's real or just in our imaginations right something sparked all of a sudden there were sightings all over the place yeah yeah so either 
it was an event or it's something like you're talking about a thought form someone said oh i saw this flying disc and and again it may reflect the tensions and the fears at the time because right. nuclear weapons had just been created and there was all these big powers that been at war right. so the flying saucer might have been a manifestation sort of of this fear of yeah. this of this powerful alien yeah. which you know you could think of a nuclear bomb as a powerful alien it never yeah. had been there before yeah and all of a sudden you have this all-powerful alien that you can't control yeah anyway no that's that's that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's exactly kind of that's exactly what i was thinking about and even you know even if you divorce this from any sort of paranormal aspect just that what greg was talking about is is uh, you know kind of a collective idea that's that's externalized uh, you know about tension some sort of yeah. tension that's going on you know within yeah. within the population but that would be kind of an unconscious or right. semi-conscious thing the thing you're talking about where they were sitting down trying to create a tulpa right that's where you're right <laughs> you're sitting together and you're meditating or chanting or whatever focusing right. on this this being i guess or yeah are tulpas always beings or spiritual um i think forces i think with, or... within within that you know within Tibetan the, the spirituality within the you know this buddhist mysticism i think they that generally refers to an entity but i think it also can mean like actually materializing some sort of solid object oh. there's even stories of that um i used to think i could do that when i was a kid yeah i, I thought know, by pure concentration things would happen <laughs> physical things yeah but it never did <laughs> yeah i didn't have any luck either i think every kid kind of goes through that um yeah. uh but you know there, there was a couple examples i i brought up one is clearly like kind of a, a thought form or tulpa sort of phenomenon and that's something i found um you might even call it uh an internet meme and um it, it's it's what's known as the slender man and where this came from uh was actually kind of a, a like a little competition uh, within this website called i think it's called like something awful and so you can look it up it's called something awful.com and they had a competition of, of trying to like uh fake uh well i'll say it's right here in the, some of the information i have it came from uh, at first. Slenderman was first mentioned in something awful forums. Create paranormal images. They had almost like a a competition. Be like, come up with something. You know, take a photo and mm-hmm. Photoshop it. Create an image that, you know. And and I think the idea was to see if they could get it out there and, and make it into like an internet meme. And it and it did kind of take off. And and. It, just the description of the Slenderman. Now, remember, this is something that people kind of made up, or not kind of made up. They did make up. Um, so it's basically like, think of him almost as like I think of him as almost like a shadow person, you know, which it kind of goes around the the world mm-hmm. of uh, uh, you know paranormal and the mysterious. He's this tall, darkly dressed uh, um, man or entity that really has no hair or and the facial features facial are vague or blank or vague yeah and um in the in the pictures that people photoshopped up you, you kind of see in the background of different events they started adding them to like historical events and so forth <laughs> and so on and where he like imagine like you know the kennedy assassination all of a sudden he's in the picture um but he has no real features that are really discernible and he's very tall and then a lot oftentimes just depicted as having almost like tentacles or appendages that come out from his back and long spidery fingers and so forth and so on now what i find really interesting about this is is this was very deliberate you might even call it a hoax but they weren't really was it hiding. a contest or they said hey try to come up with yeah, some interesting uh, yeah paranormal. but all of a sudden now people start reporting that this entity is showing up they people, are seeing people are it. seeing or seeing it right like in the shadows or in broad in, daylight or you know you claimed know? in pictures or they see it looking in their window or uh now all of a sudden it it's pardon the pun but it's taken on a life of its own and and it is kind of the as as imagined it's kind of a malicious character and actually one that's supposed to be like that torments children and and kind and of kidnaps kidnaps yeah that, um 
So, Andy, I, I read through what you gave me about yeah. the Slender Man, so I know a little bit about what sure, Andy yeah. was talking about. But it sounded like there was actual history a little bit. I'm well, not I sure, think they, I'm made not sure. up, they made up a history, yeah. Oh, was that a made-up history? I, I think so. Well, in there, I thought so, they had mentioned something back in the Germany in the right. 1600s. I think what happened is I'd have to go searching they came for They come up with their own mythology about it. Somebody found a creepy woodcut, and then they, uh, al- they altered it. Oh, I to see. look a little bit okay. more like the Slender I, I misunderstood Man. what it was. It's like so. a it's a, it's like a creepy woodcut of like a knight like fighting death or something yeah. and then and somebody changed it so it looks more like the Slender Man okay. character. All right. So this is kind of an engineered entity and then they've gone back to kind of force it or find something that where they could right, make it kind right, of right, fit right. into history. Okay, I see. Right. So uh, now well, we talked about flying saucers which was is or was but you know, it could be if it is a thought form, it's a kind of unconscious, unscripted, it just kind of happened. Right? right. Now, this thing, if it takes off or it is yeah. taking off, they actually kind of uh, designed it, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's it, people are apparently claiming to see this slender man. Yes. So this is an example, apparently, of a thought form actually becoming kind of tangible. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which I find kind of an interesting thing, you know. And particularly now, think and now imagine this: you have the internet where you can spread these ideas and get a bunch of people thinking about it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's maybe what you you possibly could be seeing there if you have mm-hmm. enough energy of people focusing on that. Like, what if that kind of thing can make stuff manifest in the mm-hmm. real world? Um, and the other the other thing I wanted to kind of with the idea of thought forms and, you know, sticking to kind of spooky and Halloween sort of theme. Um, and there's an idea too. think Halloween is a specific time of year where people focus on the idea. Well, having fun and getting candy, no doubt, you know, and, and partying, but it, it's also still retains a lot of its, um, uh, uh, its qualities of the veil between life and death, life and death, essentially between, uh, Spirit world and the physical world. world. Physical world, where it becomes very thin and permeable. Mm -hmm. Um, Imagine a lot of people thinking about that, focusing on that and everything. What does that do to that time of year? I mean, maybe it does make it more that way than other times of year. Yeah. And we talked last year about the uh, pumpkins. Originally had been turnips or something odd. But those were to ward off spirits, bad spirits, right? Yeah. They're to scare off the bad spirits. Right. So I forget forget why was it this time of year that they're warding off bad spirits well it, it was the, the growing season's over and yeah it, darkness you know, it's, is descending and it's another one of those things where it's it's a seasonal thing that's mixed with pagan holiday mm-hmm. that's mis- mixed with uh, a early christian holiday that's overlaid on the pagan yeah holiday. all, all yeah, hollows eve, eve and then right. and then uh hollows day i think is all saints day yeah so it, it all got conflated sort of right but i i mean i can see in in the past when you had spring and summer, and you've harvested, and right. now you're hunkering down for the winter, and you yeah. hope you make it. Yeah. So that's the, a spooky time of year. The idea of life and death being kind of commingled, yeah. Yeah. especially in the old days when people, you know, we have it good now, generally, yeah. especially in the Western world. Yeah. But back in the 1600s, you didn't know if you're going to make it through a winter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you you stored up your your harvest and just. And then when you see Halloween come, the leaves are falling, it's getting colder, it's raining. Yeah. You see that change. You see that five, six months ahead where you're, yeah. you're not going to be harvesting. Right. right. Yep. So maybe that has something to do oh, with it. Oh, absolutely. I didn't, yeah. I'm not sure we talked about it yeah. last time, but that just occurred and to me. And to me, just personally, I mean, I can't I can't tell you why, but this this time of year maybe, you know, goes back to my, you know, school days. You know, this is still the school year, still new um it has a kind of drama to it wouldn't yeah. you agree I oh mean, yeah and football and yeah for for a lot of people yeah. or just even though i wasn't a football fan in, yeah. in high school we'd go together and it was kind of a communal kind of fun interesting yeah. activity yeah yeah and yeah nostalgia of school you know going back to school so um oh but you know uh, just continuing on with the the thought form idea um another thing i wanted to talk about is uh the idea of maybe energy being attached to an object and this this story i'm going to bring up is actually it's it's gotten a certain amount of fame and there uh and there was a, a the incident i'm going to talk about there was a film uh to from 2012 so from this year called the possession uh which is based on this this true story or you know story that comes from reality um and 
I first came across it actually from the sci-fi channel show called Paranormal Witness, where they interview people who've had something paranormal happen, and then they reenact it. And one of the things I thought was kind of cool about this story is that were there were several people um, who had something happen in relation to this object, and some of them didn't n- even know that there was there was a, a, a supposed. A, kind of darkness darkness to this object and the story is about this thing called the dybbuk box and the uh dybbuk uh, in jewish folklore is a dybbuk is a a restless malicious spirit believed to haunt and even possess the living um and so kind of a bad ghost or maybe not not such an evil demon or right not 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 quite a demon but you know um not so great right (laughs) and uh the box itself um was was first discovered by uh now i'm just i'm going from some memory of watching the show and seeing the interviews and some printed material i have in front of myself um it was from uh it it first kind of came to public attention by this guy he was an antique store uh owner and he would go to um to um estate sales and so forth and so on and he his name is kevin manis and he himself was jewish as well um and then according to manis's story he purportedly bought the box this is from wikipedia he purportedly bought the box at an estate sale in 2003 it had belonged to a german holocaust survivor named havela who had escaped to spain and purchased it there she purchased it there before her immigration to the United States. Uh, and in the interviews that I saw and in the show I saw, the daughter, the granddaughter, told this guy, Manus, that, um, you know, a little bit about the box, that uh, that it had, it was a family heirloom. And he's, you know, he offered, oh, well, you know, because he bought it as part of a lot. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, do you want to keep it? And she said, she said, no uh we don't want it and um she even told him she she told him the box had been kept in her grandmother's sewing room and was never opened because a dybbuk was said to live inside and he knew since he had a, you know jewish he was familiar with this jewish folklore he knew what a dybbuk was and he, he kind of was like that's kind of odd and he took it back to his shop and when he opened it he found he did open it right he away did open it yeah right away um but he, it, According to the, like what we saw the reenactment and the mm-hmm. interview with the guy, he really didn't put much stock. Yeah, in it. it's just kind of an old yeah, and you know mythology. Don't buy it. And when he opened it up, he found uh, it says here two nineteen twenties pennies, a lock of blonde hair bound with a cord, and a lock of black or brown hair bound with a cord, a small statue engraved with the Hebrew word shalom, a small peace. shalom means peace, right? Peace, correct. A um, small golden wine goblet one dried rosebud and a single candle holder f- with four octopus shaped legs, all items supposedly used in Jewish folklore to exercise demons. Um, oh. and, and in this doesn't cover it in this, the printed thing that I'm reading, but in, in the interview, apparently this woman who originally owned it, she used to do like almost like a Ouija board sort mm. of thing, but more with like a pendulum and then Hebrew characters on a piece of cloth. And her and her friends are young friends, and I would imagine, I know she was a Holocaust survivor, but I would imagine some of her friends probably were as well. So imagine the the psychic energy in a room of women who are survivors of the Holocaust, who are now experimenting around with the spirit world. <laughs> and they basically, they called upon, you know, called out, to see if an entity would manifest itself and odd things happened. I mean, you can, the the story has been told a million times. In fact, I have a little personal story uh, and I'll tell in a second, but they felt that they were in danger. And then they, they chose this box, which was like almost like a little wine cabinet to, to trap the entity there. Almost imagine it like a genie or something. And then, so they had conjured this they, entity yes, through they, this they, Ouija board-like thing, yeah. And then they put it in the the box, the box. And this was after the Holocaust. This is after the Holocaust, and then she kept that box wow. with her 
And that was became, the grandma? The grandmother. Uh, and it became part of folklore. Their, their, I mean, part of their own family lore, yeah. I should say. And he got it, and then... Um, and he opened it. He opened it. <laughs> and I don't think anything... I think he, he had a couple... Like, it seemed to accompany weird electrical phenomenon, like lights blowing out and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then... Uh, and he was an antique dealer, right? Yeah. Yeah, an antique store in Portland, Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon. Oh, close by. And then um, he, he had an employee... So he, he did it, you know, he, he was kind of cleaning it up and fixing it up and looking at it. And he had an employee who came, and she had no idea that this thing was down there. And when he was off doing something, she went and got locked in the basement somehow. The so she was locked. working in the basement and then right. somehow got locked in Locked the in basement. there, and all sorts of stuff happened. And she actually thought he was doing something to her. The owner was doing a prank. And she quit. And they in the in the interview, she was like, she was like, she basically told him to. I'll do the PG thing. She told him to f off, and left. And he had no idea. She had tried to call him on the cell phone. They lost connection. Um, so she was down there. Got locked. Got locked. In. Did the power go out? Power went out. The lights started blowing out. How long was she down there? I, you know, that I don't know, oh. but um, but long enough to scare her. And when she left, she thought she thought it was him. And a bad prank. And and she, she thought it was a bad. And prank. so from his perspective, he's like he had no idea what happened. So he gave. This is how much he really didn't think that there was anything going on with this box. He gave it to his mother for her birthday. <laughs> he left her alone with it. And she opened it up. She had no idea about the story, right? I, I don't think he yeah. told her. She opened it up, and she had a stroke when she opened it up. And and her description, the mother's description, she's still alive when the, you know when the paranormal witness did the show, is that she felt evil just emanating from this box, and she instantly had a stroke, and and she, um, you know, they had to rush her off to the hospital and everything. And now at this point, the guy was like I just want to get rid of this thing. So he began. So he put it on eBay with a with a warning um you know like with the idea like hey somebody who knows how to deal with this stuff should be the person who should get this. <laughs> Here's the story. Uh-huh. He didn't just put it out there, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> and so but some college kids, some kind of wise wise ass college kids decided to get it, you know, because of the story. And they kept it around their dorm room and stuff. And then they began, began to have it often was accompanied by nightmares. One of the college kids began to lose his hair. Um, yeah, all sorts of it, – it, it would often – around this box, there would often be a very strong scent of cat urine or um, jasmine would be. Now, uh, maybe you don't know this, but was the key to keep it closed? Because they – well, the mom had – okay. I'll tell you. Go in there. And then they decided, that's it. We're going to put it on eBay as well. I also love that this is a very modern story as well. Oh, that, a cursed, that a cursed item keeps Going getting moved around uh, <laughs> through eBay. Um, and then there was a guy who, he was he's the last owner of it. He um, was, his name was Jason Haxton, director of the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine in Kirksville, Missouri. And he'd been reading, one of the kids had a blog. Uh, about it and he was he was really kind of intrigued and he was like you know if i, w- I want this to to study it you know he was kind of looking at it from a scientific perspective mm-hmm. um and then he got it through the ebay auction they shipped it through uh <laughs> yeah the ups or ups something, something. the ups drivers have problems <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um and uh oh it looks like he wrote a book i might pick that up it's a, and he he claimed that he subsequently developed strange health problems including hives coughing up blood and head to toe welts and then he eventually consulted um some rabbis to try to figure out how he could seal the dibbuk in the box again and they they apparently helped him and then he had a friend who had a he was caretaker of some property and he apparently has sealed it there with permission of the friend, and he won't reveal the location of it. And even though there's skeptics now that are like, "Hey, I'll I'll do it," I you know I don't believe any of this. I'll I'll take it. Uh, but uh, up until now, he he refuses to reveal. Well, the we kind location. of pride ourselves as being skeptics, Andy. I know, but you know what? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's. <laughs> Would you, you be willing to take on the? You know, I. It's funny when I was younger. I would say yes, because it would be worth the knowledge. The The older I get, um, 
maybe I'm getting more superstitious. I don't know. But I, I just don't think there's really any value in, in taunting. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Well, you know, this is either an amazing coincidence or there might be something to it. Because right. how many owners do we talk about here? You know, the, 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 the store owner, the employee, yeah. the college kids, and then the next guy. So that's four people. And pe- the mom. And the, the mom. mom. Yeah. So a lot of people around this thing have had a problem. But, you know, could you take something out of your family and say, oh, this was here when my mom died or this right. was here when my dad died? Yeah. Does that mean that object has that power or – but these well, sound like more. Well, remember they're the, not as the, drastic. The origin of this object is these young women were faced, according to their family legend, were faced with some sort of entity, malicious entity, and they they banished it, they imprisoned it in this box. So it has a kind of, and sticking with the thought form idea, maybe this is a thought form that came from some people who. Like I said, psychically, we're going through Holocaust some... Holocaust survivors, yeah. Going through about some, as dark and terrible as you can get. Yeah, and maybe had the type of energy that would stick with an object for that, that so long. So how do you... I mean, maybe... Do you remember during the show, did they say how they can find a spirit to an object? I don't know. Do you have to chant some Hebrew chants or something? <laughs> I don't... I. You know, I don't yeah. know whatever. Yeah. And, you know, once again, if you if, if we're if we're talking about the idea of thought forms, maybe it doesn't matter yeah. as long as your belief in it is such that that you believe that what you're doing will trap that. Yeah. And, and not to not to go too far off topic, but I've been reading a lot about recently, like, you know, kind of um, once again with with a skeptical mind, just more out of curiosity, kind of occult or magical thought. Um there's kind of a modern variety of it um, where it is, it's not really the ritual itself is not really important. It's the, it's the meaning and, and function of, of the ritual. And uh, you know, so maybe that's the case here, or if you prefer, if you want to, you know, want to stick to the spooky thing, maybe it is some malicious spirit that they, they brought. And they had conjured it through this kind of. um... Yeah. Like imagine it is, is like, Kids, Ouija board kids for, playing with a, or young kind women of Jewish Ouija board. Ouija board, yeah. Now that that leads me to something, and I, I wanted to talk about this as well. When I was a kid, did you have a Ouija board when you were a no. kid? No, so, I wouldn't. I always had a bad feeling see, about it, well, that. Now that's, I always that's, avoided. It and I wasn't religious, but I just now that's the thing. I just avoided it. I wanted, I wanted one, and and that's what's different for me as like a kid than and now. I'd probably have a Ouija board now, but. Um, I really wanted one from the time I was a, oh, wow. a kid. I, uh-huh. I think I had a friend who had uh-huh. one. And so I eventually got one as a gift, like, mm. uh, you know, for Christmas or something. I think – I don't know if they still do it, but Parker Brothers used to make the – Oh, yeah, board. I they, remember. They I don't think they do that anymore. They though. might not. Um, but I got one for Christmas or my birthday or something like that. And I played around with it. Now, to be fair, I don't – By think yourself? It, you have... and, with, and with friends, yeah. Okay. Can, and, can it work, quote unquote, I, supposedly, by yourself? Yeah, it, it's hard to say if you're yeah. doing it yourself. Yeah. Or so, as a kid, when I had my Ouija board, I I was not informed by all these stories about you know demons entering and everything. And me and my friend, my friends and I played around with it, and you know maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. Um, I do remember there was a friend who he played football as a kid. Mm-hmm. And he had injured his leg, and we asked the Ouija board, uh, like he asked how long he was going to be out and couldn't, you know, could play, you know, football. Um, and he had been to a doctor, and the doctor said, ah, oh, like two weeks or something. And the Ouija board answered, I think, like six weeks. Were you part of it? Yeah. Were you yeah, yeah. on the Ouija board I when, when think it said so? Six weeks? I think so. And about what age were you? Oh, like. 15 14 uh-huh. 15 uh-huh. maybe okay so high school and, and i think i'd had the thing for a while and um and and in, you know so he and i remember him saying like oh yeah no the doctor said i'd be back in two weeks but then it turned out he had a different sort of injury than he thought and he was actually out for the length of time that the Ouija board mm. said um now that's just a little minor experience now my sister with her with her friends um and we'll wind up on this Halloween story. Uh, my sister, when she was like about junior high school age, she had a bunch of her friends or girlfriends over, and they were playing with the very same Ouija board. Uh-huh. And she tells a story 
that the planchette, which is the little the pointer, yeah, started moving on its own. And when I asked her, I said, "You mean it started moving with your fingers on it?" And she said, "No, it started moving around so violently that they took their hands on the off board." Of it. Yes. Oh, oh, so they did have their hands on it. They started moving around. And they took their hands it's off. It's off, and it continued to move. That's according to my sister. No way. And that it eventually Ooh, moved creepy. so powerfully it flew off the board. Whoa. And my sister, Well, that goes on with that adolescent girl thing you were yes, mentioning earlier. Yes. <laughs> so now, so with the Ouija board, um, me personally, did no, I never had any sort of um, creepy phenomenon like mm-hmm. that. I had maybe little tiny minor phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my sister reports something completely different. Wow. And uh, – I don't know. I think that's a good story to end the... Uh... Yeah, I I just... Yeah, that's a great, well, spooky story. Yeah. And I had the good sense to stay away from the... That probably would happen to me because I just had a sense, don't mess with it. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'd, so, use, I'd use one again, I think. So I, I want to mention one thing before we wrap up about, you know, a lot half the podcast was about ghosts. But um, and here's something what I think when people ask me about ghosts, what, what do I think? Because, yeah. you know... Early on, we mentioned I'm a Christian, yeah. and there is a, a verse. I think it's when Jesus came back as a resurrected body, and the disciples freak out. And I think it said they thought they had seen a ghost. Yeah. And Jesus says, it's not a ghost. It's me, myself. So to me, <laughs> Jesus is validating ghosts. <laughs> he doesn't say, what are you talking about, ghosts? There's no ghost. <laughs> yeah. So just a just a, that, oh. for some reason, that, that little quote always comes into my mind oh, when, I, when I think about yeah. ghosts. But uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. We covered several ghost stories, including a couple of our own. And this thought forms thing is an interesting thing, which might or might not explain this. And the Dybbuk freaked me out. And this last story freaked me out the most. (laughs) I'm glad I'm going to have to ask her about that next time I see her. She'll tell you about it. So I guess that does it. That's episode 18 of Rain City Bunker. And happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. And uh, enjoy the peak Rain City Bunker season. (laughs) And uh, hopefully we'll do this again in a month or two. And uh, we'll talk to you all then. See ya. Good night.